0: day and welcome to the Dolby Anglican Podcast. My name is David and I'm one of the ministers at Dolby Anglican Parish. We're a church that's all about knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit anglicandolby.org.au. This week's sermon is the first Sunday of Advent and it's part of a new series called The Coming Saviour and it's all about the hope that we find in Jesus. We hope you enjoy the sermon. The Lord be with you, and And also with you. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke, chapter 21, beginning at the 25th verse. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On earth, the nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world. For the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. He told them this parable Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap for it will come on all those who live on the face of the earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the of man. Each day Jesus was teaching at the temple and each evening he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mountain of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. Well, today we're beginning a new church year. Happy New Year, everyone. And a new series. Uh, It's called The Coming Saviour. I love Advent uh, because the world around us at the moment is gearing up for Christmas. Do you feel like the world is is starting to spin a little bit faster in anticipation of December 25th? Uh And And the shops are. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, you're just bombarded. Uh, from, from every angle. Um, and I love that at Advent we can come into church and we can actually slow down. Advent is a time of slowing down to pray and to focus on what is important. The word Advent uh, means arrival of a person or thing. We might talk about the advent of television or the advent of Adolf Hitler as big moments in history. During the season of Advent, we remember Jesus' first arrival in Bethlehem 2,027 years ago. And we look forward to his second Advent, the day when Jesus will return to make all wrongs right. We live in the now and not yet knowing that the kingdom of God is among us now. It's right here in church this morning. We are the people of God. We are the body of Christ, body of Christ, body of Christ, and and the kingdom is here right now among us. But we also look to a time when the consummation of the kingdom comes, the day when Jesus will return and the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of our God will become one. Each Sunday of Advent has a different theme. Hope, peace, joy, and love. And if you look at the internet, you'll find that there are, there are actually other ways to think about Advent. It's, it's not set in stone. Um, but it's, it's a really good um, set of themes. Hope, peace, joy, and love. And you can guarantee during Advent I'll get it wrong and get those mixed up. But hope, peace, joy, and love. Because Our hope is founded on all those four things. And while today's readings are full on, the key for me, as Christmas draws near, is Jesus' words there in Luke 21. Stand up or lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. The time between Jesus' first coming and his second coming is a time where Jesus promises hardship and sorrow as well as great gospel fruits. But it's also a time when we can draw on the deep wells of the hope found in Christ. And so today we're going to look at the danger of disillusionment, the peril of panic, and the power of hope. So first, the danger of disillusionment. In the 1950s, Harvard-trained biologist Kurt Richter Uh, ran some very cruel experiments on rats that would have been banned today. He took 12 rats bred in captivity and put them in jars of water. His goal was to see how long the rats would survive before drowning. On average, the rats swam for about 15 minutes before they gave up and drowned. The ones that drowned the fastest were the ones that swam around a bit, Uh, on the surface, and then they ducked down to find some sort of escape. When they found that there was none, they gave up swimming. They were disillusioned, without hope, and they gave up. This sad tale shows us the danger of disillusionment. Humans are different to rats, but disillusionment affects us too. The prophet Jeremiah was sent to a very disillusioned people. He was a priest who lived in Jerusalem during the reigns of Judah's last five kings. He warned the people again and again against ignoring God and implored them to stop sinning. But they wouldn't listen. They were worshipping false gods. They would literally go into the temple and it looked like everything was good. They were offering sacrifices and they were doing all the religious stuff and offering big prayers. And then they would go outside of the temple and offer Sacrifices to foreign gods, to different gods. And unfortunately, as they worshiped those foreign gods that were not loving, that were not kind, that were not merciful like the God of Israel, they became unloving and unkind and unmerciful. And they began to exploit widows and orphans and foreigners. Priests and kings were leading the people into apostasy. And they became more wicked than the nations around them. Jeremiah warns the people that if they don't change their ways, the king of Babylon will come and destroy them. And sadly, Jeremiah lives through this destruction. But instead of saying, well, I told you so, after the exile, Jeremiah preaches a message of hope to his people, after their defeat. And if you go home and read the book of Jeremiah, um, Bob and Ben have read it this year, and it's, it's full of doom and gloom. It seems like a really, yeah, Ben's going like this. <laughs> they're, they're doing our Bible in two years reading plan at the moment, and they've just, they've just reached the New Testament, which is, 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 it, is it smooth sailing from now on, Barb. Ah, oh, they're in Luke, which is, which is our theme for this year. So um, enjoy, Luke. It's, it's good reading. Um, but Jeremiah is, is, is this book of doom and gloom as he warns people against um, turning away and warns them of the coming judgment of Babylon. Um, but then there's this little, they call it the book of hope. And Jeremiah 33 is part of that little book of hope within the book of Jeremiah, and God writes through Jeremiah in Jeremiah 33 The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. In those days, and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout out from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved. Jeremiah speaks to a people whose hopes are dashed and who have given up on God and are about to give up, give up altogether. But God says, Whoa, wait. You gave up on me, but I won't let you go. I'm sending a Savior from the line of King David, and he will live a perfect life, and he will save you, not just personally. But he will save you as a nation. Whether like the rats or like the people of Judah, I think we can all name a time in the past or perhaps even in the present where we felt so disillusioned that giving up seemed like the only thing left. But, friends, in the face of disillusionment, we need to draw hope from the past. The fulfillment of God's promise through Jeremiah was, of course, Jesus. God didn't fail his people then, and he won't fail us now. In the face of disillusionment, we can look to the past for hope. So that's the danger of disillusionment. Let's think about the peril of panic. Our mad scientist friend, Kurt uh, Ruckett, Richter, I think it is, um, didn't stop with just drowning household rats. He decided to repeat the experiment with wild rats. They were known as hardy swimmers and good fighters, uh, and the rats often tried to attack him while he tried to put them in water. I have no idea why. (laughs) And it's interesting, his thesis, he expected that the hardy wild rats would swim longer than the pampered ones, Um, but actually the opposite happened. These rats found their fight or fight reflexes tested, and most of them panicked and lasted only a couple of minutes of frantic swimming. Their inability to remain calm in trial meant that they gave up the ghost earlier. Again, hopelessness overtook these rats and their panic rather than their disillusionment got the better of them. There's so much, friends, for our world to panic about at the moment. During the week I've met people panicking about opening borders, panicking about new virus variations, panicking about the rise of China, and the list goes on. And friends, these are legitimate concerns. I'm not not discounting that. But is our panic our best response? Here again, God speaks into the peril of panic. In Luke 21, uh, we read Jesus' words from before he died. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at Mark's little apocalypse, Um, And Luke records that same event uh, with some extra details and extra words of Jesus on top of Mark's account. So again, Jesus is on the Mount of Olives overlooking the temple, which Jesus says is doomed. And sure enough, in AD 70, the temple is destroyed, just like Jesus said. But he proclaims this. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars... On earth, the nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror. See the peril of panic right there. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Here we see how often in biblical prophecy, um, things are fulfilled once, and then they're fulfilled in the future again. Jesus is stating this universal truth. And it sounds like panic stations. Jesus is warning of trouble ahead. But instead of, instead of telling us to abandon all hope, he says, at that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. These, when these things begin to take place, stand up, lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. It's easy to get the wrong impression about Jesus' return. Some think that just as many people missed Jesus' birth in Bethlehem, so many of us will miss his return. There's a whole series of books called the Left Behind series, and they prey on the anxiety that if we're not ready for the rapture, for Jesus' return, God won't want us and we'll be left behind. This sort of stuff feeds panic and breeds worries. But Jesus wants the opposite for us. He says, don't panic. Lift up your heads. Um, When my parents were first married, and I've told this story before, but I just think it's hilarious. Um, When my parents were first married, they went to America and they they got on a, a public bus And all of a sudden, um, this wild man with wild hair and a sign jumped on the bus and said, "Armageddon's coming!" And and my dad said, "I'm getting off this bus right now." (laughs) (coughs) And friends, there's so many people trying to recruit you onto the panic bus. But Jesus says, "Don't stand up, lift up your heads, look out in hope." He's clear that when he returns, he will come in great glory, in the clouds. You can't hide a cloud from people. And Jesus is saying, don't panic. When I come back, all people on the face of the earth will see me. You'll notice that's why um, our altar window has Jesus coming on the clouds for all the world to see. You won't miss it, friends. But that's why we want to ready our hearts at Advent knowing that Jesus could come at any moment. And that is what we need to be ready for. So if we're not to panic, how are we meant to live? Here Jesus has more hope for us. He says, be careful of your, or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing drunkenness and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. Again, you see the panic in those words. Be always on the watch and pray that you will be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Jesus' first advice is to be careful. Don't be weighed down by panic and worry. It's tempting to give up hope and just go and do what you like. Many people turn to drugs, alcohol, and various other addictions to try and ease their anxiety and hopelessness. But strangely enough, it just ends up exacerbating it. I had a friend who um, who who turned to marijuana to ease his anxiety, and and strangely, it's actually just made him paranoid. So often we try to treat our panic in the wrong way. But instead, Jesus tells us to be careful and to avoid false hopes and false promises of relief. Keep trusting in him. His second advice is to be watchful. Pray for God's deliverance from the time of trial and also live ready to meet Jesus. See, friends, sometimes people think, that Jesus' return uh, will, will, will be a horrible thing. They think of it with a sense of dread. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you have nothing to fear. In fact, you have everything to look forward to. We stand through any trial knowing that whether we die before Jesus' return or he returns in our lifetime, the outcome is the same. There are two fundamental realities that Jesus promises present us. And that's that hardship is real, but Jesus is always with us by the Holy Spirit and he won't let us down. All followers of Jesus can look forward to eternal life with him. And so we live in anticipation in readiness, and in hope. And this brings me to the power of hope. The third and final phase of Kurt Richter's experiment was probably the most powerful. In his final test, he waited until just before some of the rats drowned, and then he held them up for a while. He saved their lives. Then he put them back in the water, and surprisingly, the rats went, went from having an average survival time of 15 minutes to not 30 minutes, not 45, not even 60 minutes. Does anyone want to guess how long the rats survived on average after having that hope put in their hearts? 60 hours. 60 hours. As soon as the rats began to believe that they'd be rescued, their survival time went from 50 minutes, 15 minutes, to three days. (laughs) Again, humans are not rats, but Kurt Richter's words at the end of his study are telling. He says after the elimination of hopelessness, the rats do not die. Hope gives us superhuman strength and endurance and infuses our lives with purpose. But here we need to distance ourselves from the rats and realise that our hopes are not false hopes. God won't let us drown. In Jesus, we have real hope, true hope, hope for all eternity. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul is writing to a church that is panicking They're young in the faith, and they know Jesus is coming soon, but they've gotten all tangled up in Jesus' words of warning and forgotten his words of comfort. Some people in their church have died, and they think that they won't be in heaven because they died before Jesus' return. The whole of 1 Thessalonians is Paul taking their hands and saying, be alert, but not alarmed. Rather than give up and be overwhelmed by panic, he tells them to live in readiness of Jesus' return at any moment, knowing that he will come in his good time. Paul writes, How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Paul delights in their faith. He gets joy and he's encouraged by the Thessalonians. They're standing strong under trial. But he notices that they're they're lacking in their faith. There's an incompleteness and they need to know Jesus more. That's why we're a church that wants to know Jesus and make Jesus known. Because the world needs to know Jesus better. Remember, these people don't have the gospel accounts of Jesus' life than we do. They don't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And they're relying on what they've been told by missionaries. And so Paul writes, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes. With all his holy ones. Paul doesn't dwell on the timing and circumstance of Jesus' return, but he reminds them of the power of hope in Jesus. He prays that their love within the church may grow and might increase and overflow out of the church like a bathtub that's been left on too long, overflowing into the whole house. Paul prays that the Thessalonians might live not in a state of anxiety, but in a state of growing hope and love, overflowing into the whole community. Friends, could you imagine our church, growing in hope and love, overflowing out of the doors and filling Dolby? with the hope found in Jesus. Could you imagine how much that would change our town? I see that happening every week as you, disciples of Christ, go out and bless others. Paul speaks to the Thessalonians um, about those who have died. He calls them the saints, the holy ones, hagios, saints who have gone before us and are secure in God's hands. For us who remain, we are to build our lives on the sure and certain, rock-solid, unshakable hope that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Friends, this Advent, let's distance ourselves from the danger of disillusionment. Let's sidestep the peril of panic. And let's embrace the power of hope. Jesus Christ is our living hope. Jesus is a man of his word, and we can build our lives on him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.